justifying grid. Everybody does. Doesn't matter who you are. Everybody is on a self-salvation plan in some way. Think about before you were a Christian. I am worthy because of everybody fills in the blanks their own way based on how they were raised, their personal constitution, and what they value. Everyone has a list in their head of things that make you good enough. What it takes to justify your good person status. Well, today, Pastor Daniel invites you to join him in looking at what makes you good enough in God's eyes. Is it enough to be kind to others and give money to charity once in a while? What does God require you to do? Keep listening to find the answers to these questions as Pastor Daniel investigates God's law. Now, here is Daniel in Galatians chapter 3 as he begins a new message called, What About the Law? As a church, historically, and, and I say historically, meaning in the past and going on into the future, Crossroads has always been an expositional church, which means we like the Bible and we like to teach through books of the Bible. But it's also nice, instead of just going through a book, we took your questions and we've been compiling them and we're taking these different topics and we're doing them based on a principle now. We looked at Romans 14 when we just looked at what it means to be free in Christ. What does Christian liberty look like? And so it's interesting to be able to take different topics or just look at a principle and break that principle out from Scripture. And we're going to do that same thing today. Now, for this week, a lot of questions were centered around when is the proper Sabbath day? What should we do about tithing? And when you think about it, all of these questions end up coming under a specific topic. And that means, what does it mean to be justified in the eyes of God? All of these topics deal with this one thing. What does it mean to be justified in the eyes of God? How do we say, I am right with God and God is right with me? Now, if you think about it, justification, it's a big word, but it's very common in American culture. I'll explain it to you. What is a resume? In effect, it's saying, this is who I am, and this is why I am worthy to be interviewed for your position. That document is a self-justification to a potential employer that says, you should have me in for an interview. This is why I am worthy to receive an interview from you. How many people in here have at some point applied for a mortgage? They have you, especially now, you have to give them all sorts of paperwork, right? Why? You're saying, look, these are my finances, and because of my finances, then I am worthy to receive a loan from you. See, in effect, you're saying, you can justify giving me a loan to buy a house because of X, Y, and Z. It's so common in our culture, isn't it? 
Now, if you were single and you were trying online dating, not necessarily recommending it. I mean, for some of you, great. But the reality is, is your profile is, this is why I am worthy to email with, so maybe we can go on a date or something. See, we live our lives self-justifying for everything. You're making a case for your worthiness in order to end up in a certain place, whether it's for a home loan, whether it's to get a job, whether it's for whatever reason. And the reality is, is that this idea of justification, as it plays out spiritually as well, becomes very poignant. It's very important. What do I need to do or what makes me worthy of a relationship with God? What makes me a child of God? Now, what's interesting is in America today, and primarily amongst the younger generation, of which I am proudly a part of still, but if you look at the younger generation in America, most younger people would say, by nature of me being human, then I deserve a glorious afterlife. And see, I don't blame the younger generation because their parents taught them that. Taught them that it's all about them all the time. That you're human, you're perfect, you're wonderful. Now, it's true that your kids are wonderful. I'm not saying it's not. But when radically self-centered Americans raise the next generation, they always up the ante on the self-centeredness. And so what ends up happening is, is we've created a culture of people who say, because I am human... Therefore, God's acceptance just comes. I call that spiritual entitlement. So in the younger generation, there is the expectation, I am justified just because I'm here. Doesn't matter what I do, who I am, I'm just here. I deserve eternity. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the older generations, you're not that entitled, but you have a whole other script as this is why I am worthy of this. Well, I've been in the church for 25 years. I serve. I raised my family. I started a business. See, everybody has a self-justifying grid. Everybody does. Doesn't matter who you are. Everybody is on a self-salvation plan in some way. Think about before you were a Christian. I am worthy because of Everybody fills in the blanks their own way based on how they were raised, their personal constitution, and what they value. So today's message, and we're going to relate it to Sabbath keeping, tithing in these things. It's all about what must we do to be worthy in the eyes of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I actually am really excited about today's message because we're going to spend the whole time talking about a simple word. And that word is gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what it means. Literally, the word gospel, euangelion, we get our word evangelism from that. And evangelism literally means the telling forth of the good news. And today, we're going to focus our attention on the gospel. Okay? So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to take the whole chapter, chapter 3. Now, I have to admit, 
If we were doing a series on the book of Galatians, it'd be, I would never do this chapter in one sitting. There's just too much in there. This would be a three or four message chapter. But I want to do a flyover so that we really grab this into our hearts. Now look at how it begins in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, in context, the Apostle Paul planted the church in Galatia, right? And he planted it on this message that it's all about Jesus. But right after Paul left Galatia, another group of people came and they were from Jerusalem. They said, listen, the Apostle Paul told you that you're saved by believing in Jesus. But no, 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 listen, you need to be circumcised. You need to be put under the dietary laws. In order to be right with God, you need to believe in Jesus and be legally Jewish. You need to keep the Jewish law. They called this the Judaizers, where they wanted to take the gospel. They wanted to inflect into it, push into the gospel for acceptance by God, the Jewish law. And the book of Galatians is really all about this, trying to press a law into someone's faith in Jesus. That's the context. So Paul begins here by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? It's interesting. The apostle Paul calls them fools. He says, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched, who has cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth? It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, he calls them brothers in chapter 1. He calls them his children in chapter 4. But then right here in the beginning of chapter 3, he calls them foolish. He calls them, they're being fools. You know, and I always think about it in Proverbs as faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, Paul is calling them foolish because he loves them so much. And he's saying, look, this is so important. He's like, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth? And he starts asking all these questions. In verse 2, it says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, 
are you now being made perfect in the flesh? This teaches us this first principle that God bestows the spirit through faith, not works. God bestows the spirit through faith, not works. You see what he says here? I want to learn this. Did you receive the spirit through the works of the law or the hearing of faith? And that's a good question. That's a good question. How did the Holy Spirit come to dwell in your life? Because you did a hop, skip, and a jump? Because you passed go and collected $200? Because you went to a class? Because you were faithfully attending a church? See, you faithfully attend a church, you take a class, but the reason the Holy Spirit indwells a person is a gift given by God simply because we believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God will give his spirit to all who will believe in Jesus. Not for any other reason. That's the gospel. The gospel is God gives his spirit to those who believe in his son. So he asked the Galatians a simple question. They already know the answer from their experience. Did you receive the spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, verse 3? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Listen, verse 3, verse 3, almost every Christian struggles in verse 3. Because we get saved by the grace of God, apart from anything we do, and then we usher ourselves into another self-salvation plan. We say, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, and now I'm going to perfect myself by the works of law. You say, oh, you know, we're not going to watch any movies because spiritual people don't do that. We're not going to listen to any of that worldly music because spiritual people don't do that. We're going to make sure we worship on the right day. And we're going to think everybody who worships on a different day is wrong. We're going to say, hey, we do all these things that we're supposed to do, and that's what makes me right with God. Wrong. Wrong. See, we all do this because we love grace, but then we want to live by law. The Bible teaches that we all want to say, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The Bible teaches that I'm accepted, therefore I obey. So it's not a question of doing the right or wrong things. It's a question of why do we do what we do? And grace pushes us forward, but we never get accepted by works, ever. Do you know why we never get accepted by works? Because none of us do acceptable works. In the book of Isaiah, it says that our righteousness is what? It says filthy rags. Now, in the Hebrew, those filthy rags, and I don't mean to be coarse, but this is just what the Bible says. Those filthy rags, you know what that is actually? It's a used sanitary napkin. That's what that word filthy rags, to use sanitary napkin. Now, I don't know about you, but we're not keeping those things. And we're definitely not parading those things out as, hey, check this out, right? I mean, that's just straight up gross if you do that, right? And the answer to that is exactly. Exactly. Nobody does that. Except for so many of us, that's how we try and live before God. We are saved by grace, and then we try and parade out our filthy rags. So we start in the spirit and then we try and perfect ourselves by the law. 
In Galatia, it was the Jewish law that they were pushing. Today, now we have a whole new set of laws, whether they're American-derived laws or churchianity laws or whatever the style of church you were weaned in or socialized in. But the reality is, is we began in grace and in the spirit by faith, and we're going to continue in that. See, look at verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracle among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And what's the answer to that? By the hearing of faith. God supplies the spirit. He does miracles by faith. By faith. It's so simple. It's so, so then you ask yourself, well, if that's the case, what's so important about the law, right? Why did God give it? Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. He says this, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus is saying, look, all of the law is going to be fulfilled. God's law is his standard for righteousness. But he's saying, look, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, in Jesus' culture, the scribes and Pharisees were the most scrupulous in regards to law keeping. They were not playing around. They said, look, if God's law says this, then we're going to do that. So help me God. That's what their mindset was. And they were down, so scrupulous, making sure they didn't miss anything. And then Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you're not getting in. And you can imagine the people in Jesus' day thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? There is nobody who exceeds their righteousness under the law. But Jesus says, it, it has to be. Why? Why? Why is it so, so important? Because Jesus is saying, look, the scribes and Pharisees are being so scrupulous, but you still need to do it better than them. And he's making the case that the only way to do the law better than the scribes and Pharisees is to believe in the only one who truly keeps the law. And that's Jesus himself. He's pushing them. He's saying, look, you can't get there. The standard is too high. And unless you exceed the standard, you're not going to get in. And that is the human condition. Every religion, every philosophy, no matter how religious or secular, is some sort of way to say, this is the standard that you need to live up to. And so no matter what your philosophy is, it's still faith-based. You're saying, I need to live up to this level. And the Christian gospel, and the reason it's good news, it says no matter what standard you erect, you fall way short. No matter what standard you erect, you fall way short. And that is why God sent Jesus to die on a cross. So for most of us, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But we have to be careful not to erect another standard. That I am accepted by God because, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I also worship on this certain day. Or I do X, I do Y. 
In the end of the day, for each one of us, the only reason we ever stand justified before God is because of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And it never leaves there. It never leaves there. So as Paul's making this case now, from verses six to nine, look at what he says. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. This teaches us that Abraham is the perfect example of living by faith. Abraham is the perfect example of living by faith. As we walk through the Bible together, you realize that there is not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. How many of you have heard that? Oh, the God in the Old Testament is so angry and the God in the New Testament is so gracious. No, 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 no. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you meet the same gracious, loving God who is also very just in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And Abraham, thinking they were trying to make Christianity Jewish. They're trying to say, look, you believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the kosher laws, all these things. And Paul's like, no, 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 listen. Abraham was justified by faith. Look, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In the Abrahamic covenant, we learn that Abraham, did he do things? No, he believed. And because he believed in God, God accounted it to him, justified him as righteous because of his faith. Not only that, it goes a little bit farther down and it says, and the scriptures, verse eight, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel to Abraham. Did you ever notice that? Who preached the gospel to Abraham? God did. What's the verse? In you, all the nations shall be blessed. Now, you hear that the first time in Genesis 12, 3. He repeats it to Abraham a bunch of times. And then it also goes to Isaac and to Jacob. Over and over and over again. Over and over. In you, the nations shall be blessed. And in verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. See, the patriarch, the great patriarch of the Bible, Abraham, is the perfect example of this. And if you studied through that with us, you found that Abraham made a million mistakes. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Today, Pastor Daniel invited you to investigate how you can be right with God. You discovered that the answer to this lies in the reality of the gospel. God sent Jesus to rescue you from the devastating consequences of going your own way. Because of Jesus, you don't need to do anything more than simply believe. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word. And I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, 
jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that Abraham's example should give you hope. You'll see that Abraham was a hot mess, a total train wreck at times. He made lots of bad decisions, but his right standing with God wasn't based on making sure he followed the rules and did everything right. No, it was his faith in God that made the difference. You'll be reminded that your spiritual security comes from believing that Jesus is real, that he's made things right for you. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Really. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.